Oh, look interview. at you. So cultured. That's right. That's how I roll. <laughs> I roll in culture. Hello, and welcome to another enthusiastic episode of Geek Chew, <laughs> podcast where we discuss... <laughs> it's a podcast where we chew over the geeky things that we love, mostly comic books, books, TV, and movies. Uh, this week we're talking about Quantum and Woody by Daniel Kibblesmith and Kano, mostly art, art by Kano. Mm-hmm. And Deathbed Number One by Joshua Williamson and Riley Rosmo, and Annihilation, which we saw. We saw. We had early screening tickets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because we're right on top of it, here we are recording a podcast about it two weeks later. <laughs> and we've also finished, both finished our book club book. One of us cheated a little bit. Four, three, two, one. First of all, <laughs> audiobook is not cheating. Hmm. Not cheating. Ag- agree to disagree. Yes. <laughs> it makes me mad that things pe- that when that there are people who think that. How many pages did you actually read? Uh, six hundred. I'll let it slide. I thought it was more like half and half. Maybe it was like five hundred then. Hmm. But still. either way, we finished it. And that is 100% going to be our next episode. We'll talk about our, our book club book, 4321 by Paul Oster. Oster. See? Teamwork. Huh. I also saw a Netflix advertisement for the second season of Jessica Jones, which comes out, wait, tomorrow? Yes. Tomorrow. I wrote March 8th, and I thought that was further away. Yeah, but it not. is actually tomorrow. That's pretty exciting, right? It's Very exciting. Drop on a Thursday? Yeah. Is it maybe midnight tomorrow? Maybe. Although, technically, that then still that's still Friday. Night. <laughs> Whatever. It's coming out very soon. This week. 100% accurate. There you go. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I didn't have like a lot of news stuff written down, but I did see that the Flash movie, which has, I think, cycled through two or three directors already, has finally found their directing team of Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly, who wrote Spider-Man Homecoming and also Game Night, which I really would like to see. I would really like to see that as well. Because that looks funny as fuck. It does. Do you have other stuff? I don't think so. No. Bachelor's wrapped up. Boring. It was It was boring. <laughs> <laughs> Told you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we should get right into Quantum and Woody then, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, still from Valiant. And I'm a little disappointed that we didn't record this earlier because Quantum and Woody was supposed to be, uh, it would have kind of timed out perfectly as like our five-year anniversary for podcasting because our first episode was about the Quantum and Woody books that we had read back in 2013. Boy. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but these ones are 
I think really good. I, I skimmed them for a second time before we started recording and saw a bunch of stuff that I just didn't really accurately remember how funny it might have been. Mm-hmm. I was actually laughing. Uh, it's three issues in. It's really good still. Yeah, it is. Uh, Daniel Kibblesmith is the writer who I guess also, he's a writer on The the Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I read a um, Variety, I want to say it was a Variety article. Oh, look interview. at you, so cultured. That's right. That's how I roll. <laughs> I roll in culture. But it really has like the same feel, I don't know, as the original, yeah. not original Quantum and Woody, because that was Christopher Priest back in the 90s, which I'd read this before, but I reread it today, and it, I don't know if we had talked about it before, that their characters were actually based on Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson's characters in uh, White yeah, Men Can't Jump. Yeah, that's right. You mentioned that. Yeah. Now I need to see that again. We should watch that. I liked that movie when that came out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we need to like watch it per oh. se. <laughs> You're <laughs> probably like right. A, Maybe I'm a just YouTube feeling compilation of so all the best nostalgia. best parts of the movie. Yeah. But I think the series so far does a really good job of just kind of jumping in. The first issue reintroduces the characters and their relationship and makes some references back to the the old series that we read, the ERA, uh, Edison Radical Acquisitions. Mm -hmm. I think it is radical. Yeah. And introduces some new characters like uh, the negative one, which is, it's really funny, but it's it's a funny book. Mm-hmm. Hedge man, who's just a giant hedge. He looks kind of like uh, Clayface from Batman. Yeah. They also but call him Thedge, which is like, cause is he a tree or is he a hedge? They call him Thedge. Do they? Or maybe it was because it's like the hedge and then they just shortened it to Thedge. Anyway, they do call him Thedge, but it's <laughs> That sounds funny. like, that was my first read on that particular uh, condensation of words. Condensation? <laughs> yeah. Huh? Contraction? I would say contraction. I'm sure you would. (laughs) (laughs) So the book definitely has like the same feel as the old book. It's it's got the same kind of format with like the the black lettering for different scene changes and Mm -hmm. or not black, it's white lettering on a black background, but just kind of little witticisms that introduce the next scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and the book itself does kind of jump from, you know, way back in the past to the present to the, more recent past and to the, like way way past yeah. yeah and and i think it does a really good job of building the relationship between quantum and woody like a, a little bit like you always kind of got their relationship but it really kind of dives in and builds all these complex layers to how they feel about each other yes exactly like the way actual siblings would feel about each other, you know, just like the complexity and the nuances and the layered story of life that they have lived together. That's gotten them to the point that they are at now. Um, I really like what is happening with like the layout, um, of the panels or not even, I, I, I don't even know if you can really call them panels. Um, especially the one where they're sort of arguing in the house and basically it's like the one giant, 
page of the house, but then you see them like in each window as time is passing and during this argument and like other little like pull out shots yeah. that they... It does the same thing in the warehouse, right? In the yeah. second issue. Yeah. yeah. And that one's really cool too, because they do like put a little frame around this and then this and then this as it's like moving along. And it does the same thing in the bar in the, in another scene. Like yeah, the it, it really, yeah, it utilizes that storytelling tool in really like fun and, and cool ways. Um, you know, cause panels can be limiting. Right. Um, uh, and this is, this is just such a neat way to, to visually tell the story. Yeah. I really like the book so far, this series. And I feel like it maybe doesn't really get its due for how good it is. Like I tried Googling stuff about this particular series just to kind of brush up and see what other people were saying. And there wasn't a, a whole lot of stuff out there except for like valiant press releases. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, isn't that the thing with some valiant books? I'm sure. Yeah. And I mean, they're just not like a huge, it's not a huge imprint. It's, uh, but they've got some like really talented people working with their characters. Yeah. For, I mean, we like Matt Kent, when he did, he still work. He, Rye he does a 2000. lot of stuff with him. Yeah. He yeah. does Rye and, um, I mean, Rye, that was an amazing book. And when we talked to Matt Kent at that convention, at the comic convention, like he was so excited about like some of the stuff that he was working on with that book. And I think that, um, <clears throat> we just don't hear a lot about these valiant titles. You hear bits and pieces, but it doesn't get the same kind of um, marketing. I think yeah. that some of the, well, I think it's just, you know, money. Right. And I don't have all the history down exactly, but you know, they were, they were gone. Gone. Right? Yeah. Like, like, I don't know if they were just completely wiped out and just not publishing for a while. And then somebody came in and, bought all those properties or, or what. And I know we, I think we actually heard the story about Valiant at that convention you were just talking about. Uh, but I, I don't remember it. Yeah. As I think we as, have heard that history yeah. before and I don't remember it either. But I mean, as far as this particular series, you know, the first issue does all that kind of reintroduction stuff and points you in the direction of where the series is going. And there's stuff with Woody's actual father. Cause obviously he was adopted into um, Eric's family who's quantum and the second issue has the warehouse stuff and kind of builds the conflict between, between the two brothers. But the third issue is like a huge departure from, from it's basically a one shot and it jumps yeah, back in time. It does feel like a one shot for sure. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I'm not saying that I really liked it a lot more than the first two issues. It was just so different and it had a different artist, Francis Portella, uh, but it was really affecting, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I um, agree. And to say it's affecting is, is kind of funny because it starts with a goat who has the consciousness of their father downloaded into it, giving birth to this corporeal version of the downloaded. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's really, it's, it's out like, there. It's quite out there. But then it, then it gets into the whole, um, you know, they have a limited time with this version of their father and he's not going back into the goat and he's going to be gone when he's gone. And the brothers, he's dealing it with, with it in a certain way. And you, it made you like more emotionally invested in, in yeah. that one story. And I think, yeah, no, it definitely did. But I think that's also 
what the series so far as a whole has done for those two characters. I, I've just really enjoyed it. And it's really funny. It's yeah, it's yeah. hilarious. The jokes are yeah. top notch. Yeah. It's, it's a funny book. Do you want to move on to deathbed? Yeah. Which I really liked this book. Yeah. It's, it's really good. I was, I didn't originally put it on our pull list because I saw it in the previews catalog and I was like, uh, I don't know. And then something, um, Something reminded me that it was coming out. I saw it in, yeah, I don't know. I don't remember. But, you know, whatever week that was, I went to the store and I was like, hey, can I still add this? And he was like, oh, yeah, I got plenty of time. Glad I did, basically. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> uh, it's a Vertigo book. It's written by Joshua Williamson, who's currently doing The Flash. And the art by Riley Rosmo, who we love. Right. Um, from Constantine. Constantine. It's really time, but whatever. I can't even argue anymore. Like enough people just say, say it the wrong way that I guess that's now right. Sorry. I didn't mean to rant. And he also did the, the DC version of Batman and the shadow, which I really enjoyed all six issues of that. And I'm sure we've had other books that he's, that he's drawn, but, uh, this one was, was, was really good. You know, really great art and color. Yeah. I agree. Uh, One of the really interesting, I think, things about this first issue is not only the story and how it sets up the series as far as going forward. And I don't really, I don't know if it's a limited series or if it's just kind of an ongoing until they decide not to. But it basically opens with three splash pages. Mm -hmm. Like there's the the first page, which is not a splash page. It's kind of introducing the birth of the I don't know if I would say main character, but one of the main characters, the uh, mm-hmm. adventurer of the story, Antonio Luna. But, um, you know, there's this huge splash page on on the second and third pages with his father just kind of holding him up in this weird bog with all these weird monsters around. Mm-hmm. And then the next splash page is, is, is just the title page, but it still takes up two pages. And it's kind of surrounded by... Uh, these kind of snapshots of all the adventures that this Antonio Luna is having. Right. And over decades with, and yeah, decades. Right. And, and they decades. have the years like for each little picture that they have. And then you turn the page again and it's another splash page, this time introducing the other main character, Valentine Richards, right? The ghostwriter. Mm-hmm. That's her name. Val. I know it's Val. Yeah. I, I typed know. it out here and now I'm like, I don't know if that's actually correct. Richard sounds weird, but. It's definitely Val. Yeah. Yeah. But that's another like really interesting uh, spread. Interesting is a weird way to put it, I guess, because she's sitting there on a toilet smoking a cigarette on the phone, um, trying to turn down this job to go be the ghostwriter for Antonio Luna. But it also, you know, has on the side another um, version of that title page, which shows Antonio Luna's. Uh, adventures, but just kind of lays out her character, right? Yeah, yeah. In, it's like in her this really her story, her history. Yeah, in a really effective way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they definitely mirror each other in the way that they're introduced. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I guess ultimately, like, not a lot happens in this issue. Yes and no. Yeah, you're right. I guess not. They it doesn't move very for, for very far forward in time. Yeah, it just kind of sets up what is going to happen. But um, mostly, it's like how these two meet 
Right. And, and then how they come to um, an agreement to continue a journey together. Yeah. And also sets up this world and what exactly is, not what exactly is going on, but a preview of what's going on because, because she eventually agrees to go to his house and be his ghostwriter. He's supposed to be on his deathbed and all of a sudden they're surrounded by like these assassin mummies. Well, they were there in the beginning too when he was born. Right. Which is weird. Yeah. (laughs) Like what's the deal with this guy where like glowy eyed creatures are after him. Right. I I guess we'll find out. Yeah. And and it's funny because you know, he's, the the whole uh, conceit behind the issue is he's luring his enemies in by pretending that he's on his deathbed, but then he also wants this ghostwriter to to follow him and his adventures. Who I mean, I don't even know how old this guy's supposed to be. He's probably seventies, maybe based on his timeline. Maybe older. Yeah, I mean, I read a um, fight scene like a synopsis though. that said something about like a ninety year old guy yeah uh who uh in this issue jumps out of his deathbed completely naked to kill the uh, assassin oh no no he was wearing like a utility belt belt. on yeah (laughs) his 2d belt yeah (laughs) i'll cut that out (laughs) that's a joke just for us i almost said that though yeah but i mean the only other thing that i would say about the issue really is is the narrator voice that kind of follows through the, the issue it's interesting right either it's my my impression so far is that it's kind of like an omniscient narrator, uh, a little bit like. It seems closer though. It seems more um, interactive. Interact, right? yes, it's because kind of, it's not the same as like. And it was a a dark night in the city of Gotham. Well, while it does Batman kinda, overlooks yeah. the the town square or whatever. You yeah, know, it's not it like that. It's more that, personalized. Uh, kind of 50s radio announcer vibe to it, but then it also kind of uh, jumps in with little interjections, kind of like Ron Howard narrating an episode of Arrested Development. Right. Uh, but I don't know. I'm, I'm actually I'm really excited to see where the series goes. Me too. And I'm definitely uh, going to leave it on our, on our list of, of things to read. So... Yeah. Yeah, um, love the art, love the colors, yeah. and the story seems like it could go in a really interesting direction. Something yeah. that I haven't really, we haven't really seen before. Right. So, exciting. Yeah. Do you want to move on? Absolutely. So, Annihilation. Annihilation. Sorry, that's only, you only get no, it I'm if you saw it. it. Yeah. <laughs> So this was a movie based on Jeff Vandermeer's Southern Reach trilogy. Right. But I think what the second two didn't come out until after this movie was written. Well, I mean, there's some... Right. I I think they were out, but the director slash writer said that he hadn't read the second two books. And that's because there was some whitewashing controversy with some of the characters who weren't identified as ah. um yeah so whatever i'm not i'm not worried about that because yeah no i mean and he's alex garland is is the guy who uh, adapted and, and directed the movie who also did ex machina that movie but was he, creepy yeah <laughs> uh, but he's he said you know he has no interest in doing 
an expanded universe kind of thing. Like he has no interest in making it a trilogy. This, he just wanted to make this movie. And from what I understand, it's significantly changed from the first book in the trilogy that it's based on. Right. Uh, I know that you've listened to some of it. I have some not. Any you can of it. just say read. I've read it. I read it on audiobook. <laughs> you got it. You read it. But anyway, Alex Garland, before he went into actually adapting and or writing and directing things, he was a, I think he was mostly a writer and he did things like 28 Days Later, uh, Never Let Me Go. He adapted that for. Uh, right, which I heard was a terrible movie, so I didn't want to watch it, even though it's one of my favorite books of all time. Yes, which I have not read. Did we get our copy mm-hmm. back? Yes. So <laughs> I will read that someday. Uh, but he also wrote Dread with Carl Urban, which was actually a pretty good movie. But you haven't seen 28 Days Later either, right? I haven't. No, I liked that one. I like those those kind of horror movies. I always did like the gorier ones rather than the ghosty ones. Yeah. For whatever reason, I felt like the gory ones where there's either like zombies or some sort of serial killer is less likely to happen than a ghost haunting me. (laughs) And that's why. Yes, I would agree. (laughs) So, so this movie is actually kind of like a sci-fi slash horror slash treatise on the human condition. Yes, that is, um, that is the category I was looking for. (laughs) Is it not? It, it is that, but uh, no, I I just was looking for uh, like a suspense kind of thriller. Um, thriller. I knew it started with a T. <laughs> so, so does treaties. That is one hundred percent accurate. And the basic conceit of the movie is is pretty simple: that something falls to the earth out of space and creates a weird anomaly. Right, that is growing on the surface of the planet. And then people are sent in to explore. Right. So there's this area that is um, kind of growing. This anomaly is called the Shimmer. There's Area X outside of the Shimmer where um, people are stationed to observe or research or enter, whatever. And the whole idea of the movie is, is set up pretty quickly in the beginning um, especially through the way that the movie is structured, right? Sure. I mean, there's the meteor falling to Earth, uh, but then it basically kind of, uh, my memory might be a little hazy at this point, but it kind of cuts right to Natalie Portman after she's come out of the shimmer. She's being kind of debriefed. Yes, yeah. Uh, by... Dudes in... Yeah, by guys in Tyvek suits and hoods. Wong. Right. From Doctor Strange. I don't know the guy's name. (laughs) (laughs) Me either. That's terrible. He was funny. He was good in this movie. Mm. Um, I mentioned Doctor Strange. Oh, yeah. He was much better at Doctor Strange. (laughs) A little more to do. Anyway. Yeah. So, what did you think of this movie? I don't know. I, uh, I really... No. I do know. I really enjoyed it overall. Um, me too i there was i enjoyed it overall as well yeah there was some really strange uh stuff going on towards the end which i don't know if we want to get into exactly 
Um, it's kind of hard to talk about unless you're going to do some like massive spoilers, but there's this whole choreographed thing that, um, I found very strange at the time. I, as with a lot of things, I kind of internalized it and then heard other people, specifically people attached to the project, talk about it. And it kind of made me be like, okay, yeah, I mean, I can kind of see that. Um, I did enjoy the bulk of the movie, uh, leading up to to the climax or whatever you want to call it so there were basically i really liked it all and then it got towards the end of the movie and i was just like that's really weird and that's even weirder right and then this is the weirdest thing ever yeah and then it kind of ends in like a a place where you would kind of maybe expect a movie like this to end right and you're like okay that makes sense (laughs) <laughs> yeah but That's then you're also vague, like but, <laughs> but then you're also like but does it make sense yeah uh, i don't really okay so know. it makes sense for that kind of movie i'm not saying it makes <laughs> sense for like um so but like i really feel like it's worth watching like the movie's really beautiful um it talks about a lot of interesting things about about these people, these characters, and just yeah, life like in general. Subjects, or it really tackles head on almost, not almost, it explicitly tackles things like psychology and the self-destructive behaviors of human beings and, and stuff like that. Right. So, like, just setting aside the ending, this movie was, like, fantastic for me. Yeah, no, it was really good. Um, and it's funny because one of the... I don't know if I can say controversies surrounding the movie, but one of the disappointing things about the release of the movie was um, that, you know, there was this changeover in leadership at Paramount and the um, studio that, that produced or distributed the movie, whatever. And uh, there are certain projects that, you know, Paramount has lost money on a lot of movies that they've put out over the past year or two. And, and the new leadership team just kind of decided that they didn't really believe in this movie. And so they, uh, they did the theater release in the, in the U S but maybe not, uh, such a big push for, for advertising and pumping a lot of money into it. And then they just sold the international rights to Netflix. So it's just going straight to Netflix, um, outside of the U S huh. and yeah, it was because of, I mean, there were a lot of, reasons i'm sure from internal politics of paramount to the the screenings that they had for the movie that um people may have thought it was too intellectual is is what i've seen in a couple different articles that i've read which is kind of funny but ultimately it was a really i think good movie to experience in the theater which is is funny because you know the director was disappointed that they weren't releasing it in movies because he wanted people to see it in the theater. You can tell not only from um, how visually stunning it is, but from also the, the soundtrack and how kind of um, powerful it is in some places. And the screening that we went to at the Alamo Draft House even had Natalie Portman do her do one of those introductions to the movie, and she even said in that little uh short video thank you for coming to the theater and seeing this the way it was supposed to be seen right which i thought was kind of fun yeah or neat and i don't know um speaking of natalie portman the the cast was was really good for this it was natalie portman as this biologist jennifer jason lee 
uh, um, psychologist, Gina Rodriguez, paramedic, Tessa Thompson was a physicist. Tessa Thompson was, um, so different in this movie from any from other anything, movie, anything I've ever uh, seen her in Creed, Thor, uh, Westworld. Anything. Yeah. <laughs> she's, I mean, she's amazing. She's a chameleon. So. <laughs> she really is. I yeah. mean, after seeing this movie, I mean, I, we've, we've been a fan for a long time or for a while of hers. Right. Especially after Creed. Right. Um, but after seeing Thor and then Annihilation, like, I just cannot wait to see what else she's going to do because she's so good. Yeah. 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 She's, she's really good. Uh, Tuva Novotny was the anthropologist who. Do you want me to do the bear sounds? I, I do not. I never <laughs> want to hear the bear sounds again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was so much cool stuff in this movie that you really hadn't seen in a movie before. And, and like we, uh, like we talked about a little bit, I, I don't know how different that is from the book and how inventive they were. I, I'm sure it was either completely original or a very original, uh, screen representation of what might've been in the book, but the mutant bear, the alligator, uh, to the guy, First of all, Oscar Isaac is also in this movie. He was in Alex Garland's first uh, movie, Ex Machina, but he plays the soldier who has gone in before Natalie Portman's team, and they're married. And uh, Or he's the only person to make his way out. Ostensibly. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and there's this video that Natalie Portman's team finds after they go into the Shimmer that is one of the grossest things I've seen in movies in a long time. Really? With, um, it didn't bother me that much. I looked over at you and it bothered you that much. Well, <laughs> 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 uh, oh, then that must pass pretty quickly over me because I don't remember it bothering me that much. Yeah. So, I mean, basically you go into the shimmer. Obviously they don't explain exactly how it happens, but DNA is refracted. So many things get smashed together um, it's changing not only the environment, but everything in the environment to include the animals and the people. Um, and, and this, this one dude in the video who, um, is unfortunate in many ways, <laughs> but one of the craziest things that I've seen in movies, uh, recently, aside from the mutant bear who screams like a human, a specific human yeah. <laughs> or she I don't want to uh, assume anything <laughs> <laughs> was this guy who, who spoiler alert, they, they cut open in this video uh, and he has, I don't know, like moving Eel intestines? eels in yeah. his intestines and Not they find his, his as his intestines yeah. and they find him uh, later. Is uh, it the same guy later? Yeah, that's the dude. I mean, that and his body is just kind of um morphed into the wall. Yeah, and taken in all this different plant life and um just become so weird. I don't know, yeah. it was it was one of the most I guess grotesquely creative and horrific things that I've seen on the screen <laughs> in a while, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't it, know. yeah. I I thought it was Interesting and good. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I, I would highly recommend the movie. 
I would um, too. In spite of the three minutes that I wouldn't highly recommend of the movie. <laughs> but do you, do you have anything else for Annihilation? No, I, I too would recommend seeing this movie. No. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that'll wrap it up. Um, we got a new puppy, Valkyrie, mm-hmm. whose nickname will be Kyrie. Hashtag Boston Celtics. <laughs> hashtag beat LA. <laughs> uh, so if we sound a little tired, which I think we probably always sound tired. But especially so. It's because we're not getting any sleep because we're potty training a puppy. House then, training, house breaking, whatever. I don't care. We're teaching the dog to go shit outside. That's right. That is <laughs> that's the end goal. <laughs> But uh, I don't know. Did you have anything else? No, I do not. All right. Well, it was fun. It was smart. We liked it.